0: Hello, Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Cook Thoughts Podcast. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Uh, Episode 25. This is pretty big. I honestly thought that after episode 9, someone would tell me they don't want to hear me talk anymore and I'd be done with it. But here we are. Episode 25. I'm very excited for what's going to be happening in the next few months in terms of guests coming on the show, the growth with the Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, growth of the merchandise that I want to start producing for y'all. So yeah, it's been a very great 25 episodes. And I think the most rewarding thing has been so far is hearing the stories of the people that have come onto the show. I mean, I can talk all day about my experiences in the kitchen and what I love most about the industry, but at the end of the day, this podcast is to inform and reach more cooks through the stories of other cooks or other people in the food industry. So to be able to have a platform and a space where I can just keep talking to chefs, uh, young and old, you know, doing different things or people doing different things in the food industry... I think it's something that's helped me learn a lot about the industry myself and also about what else is out there in terms of what people do as a career choice and what people find interesting in food in general. So I just want to say thank you if you've been here since episode one. Um, just thank you so much because these last 25 episodes have just been truly a blessing to be able to do. And I'm very excited for what's to come. I'm very excited for basically the next 25 And I can't wait to see what guests I can have on the show and what more conversations I can have. That being said, I just wanted to give you a reminder that I'm trying to do this Anthony Bourdain tribute episode. So Anthony Bourdain passed away last year on June 8th. And I'm trying to get an episode together where you all send me voice messages saying why Anthony Bourdain meant so much to you. I'm trying to find a better way than downloading the Anchor app where you can send me a voice message and I can actually save it and put it in to the episode so if you have a better way reach out to me on instagram but as of now the best way for me is if you could download the anchor app and if you could look up line cook thoughts in the top right corner there will be a button that says leave a voice message you click on that a voice message button and you have a minute to say why anthony bourdain meant a lot to you i think it's super important that we do this because anthony bourdain obviously meant a lot to so many people and i think it would be really cool I, that on am our one year mark to put this out to the industry and just have people like not only recognize what we're saying about him and recognize how much of an impact he had on so many people, but also recognize that the law nation can come together to honor the people that we look up to and also honor the chefs that have paved the path for the rest of us. You know, definitely me with doing podcasting, he opened up the door for chefs and media. Um, so yeah, I know I, I have my reasons why I look up to him a lot and you know, it definitely was, a big deal for me when he passed. So if you all are interested in sharing why he meant so much to you, uh, please share me that on Anchor. Once again, just download the Anchor app, the Anchor podcasting app, look up Line Cook Thoughts, look up voice message, and then just send me over a minute voice message on why you like Anthony Bourdain so much or why Anthony Bourdain meant so much to you. So what are we going to be talking about on this pla- on this uh, podcast? First and foremost, I want to let you all know that pretty soon I will be switching platforms. So what that basically means for me is that I will be going away from Anchor and going to another podcasting hosting site. What that means for you will probably not mean that much. Um, but I just want to be transparent with you all. Uh, as I switch, you might lose the subscribe feature. Uh, so basically, like if you're subscribed on Apple... Um, if I switch my platforms, basically my RSS feed changes and you might get unsubscribed and all you'll have to do is resubscribe. It's not going to be under a different name. You're not going to have to look up a different podcast. Um, it's not anything new, but if you do see for some reason that you're not subscribed anymore, it's not because I kicked you off. It's because I'm switching over platforms. Um, I love anchor and anchor has been a great way to start for me. And I really highly suggest using them if you're just starting out podcasting. But as I've gotten my groove and things, I want to go into a system that is a little bit more in depth. I have a little bit more control of the things I want to control. Um, so yeah, that's basically what's going to be happening with the platform switch. I uh, just want to give you guys an update so that when you when you look for the podcast uh, in the next couple of weeks, and maybe it doesn't show up right away as you know in your subscribe notifications, that's why. Uh, any questions, feel free to reach out to me. If you have any issues, let me know because I get those fixed immediately. But I just want to let you know that that small minor switch is going to be happening. So topics for today. I wanted to go over, first and foremost, the book put out by Kwame Onawashi, Notes from a Young Black Chef. And I just thought this book was amazing. I resonated so deeply with it in terms of the grind, the hustle, the want to be something more than just an everyday cook. So I really wanted to go over his book with you all. After that, I want to go over the importance I see in food memories. I think food memories are something that a lot of cooks forget about, but are truly what makes the great cooks great. And so I really want to get into food memories and why I think it's important that you should be gauging your meals around them, and why it's important that if you're doing a tasting menu, you should put the memories that you had into the plate so that when someone else takes a bite of it, they might get sent back to the same memory in terms of childhood and whatnot. So I wanted to go over food memories, what I really think about them, and why I think it's cool. I wanted to to then jump over to a story in the industry. I usually don't do stories that much. Um, Once in a while, I'll do one. But um, I thought it was kind of interesting. McDonald's, uh, they started cutting their signature sandwiches. I just wanted to go over why I think it's an important topic to talk about. Uh, I think it was interesting that a company as large as them tried this uh, sandwich program for the last two years, and then now they're just dis- disbanding it. So I wanted to go over what my thoughts are on that. I then wanted to go over why you should be dining out with a sommelier. Uh, I just ate at Chef's Club in New York City with my uh, friends, Sam Bacharach, and my two friends, Jerry and Connor. And Sam, who's going to be on the podcast in a few weeks, this is a sommelier, and he really opened my eyes to dining with wine and food, and I wanted to share what he showed me on the podcast as well. So I'm very excited to talk about that and kind of go over why I think it's important that at some point you go over, you go out to eat with a sommelier. Um, that being said, my next two podcasts this coming Sunday will be a podcast with uh, Professor Jerry Fischetti from the Culinary Institute of America. We talk about organizational behavior and treating your employees right and why it's so important. And then the week after will be the Sommelier podcast with Sam Backrack. We're going to talk about all things wine, um, how he got into wine, what he thinks about different regions, and what he thinks about different producers, and just some basics on what you should know as a cook when it comes to be, to getting your wine knowledge up to par. So I'm very excited for that as well. Um, other than that, I mean, the spring is here. I'm very excited to go to have some spring tasting menus. Um, I think this is my favorite season to cook in because spring is so vibrant. There's so many fresh ingredients. There's so many little markets popping up. You know, the the winter is gone and you start to see like flowers come up and you start to see mushrooms and ramps. And I'm really just excited for spring in general. So it seemed like I have a little more energy today For I seem like, you know, more excited for, about food. I just think spring is my favorite time of the year to cook because I think it has the most beautiful ingredients. Um, let me know what you think your favorite time of the year of cooking is. I really find it interesting when people say, like, winter or summer because, for me, spring has always been the best. So, yeah, that's going to be our podcast. Like I said, thank you all so much. Uh, feel free to check out linecookthoughts.com for your official Line Cook Nation merchandise. Um, in the process of still ordering more hats and shirts, there's a little bit of delay on that. But, um, They will be here soon if you are looking to get a size that isn't available, but I still do have some sizes up. I don't have any more hats left. I know y'all are looking for that, so I'm really trying to get those back up. But uh, yeah, feel free to check out linecookthoughts.com right now if you're looking to get a shirt. And like I said, thank you so much for 25 episodes. It's been a blast. It's been something that I look forward to every week, and I have just really enjoyed the time I've spent with y'all chatting and talking, getting your feedback. And like I said, if, any, if there's any feedback you want to give me, you just send it to me through the Instagram. I take everything you say to heart. I focus on the bad and the good, and I just try to make this the best audio experiences for all the cooks that listen to this because I know you're listening right now as you're prepping. I know you're listening after a long day's work. I know you're listening before you're going into your shift. And I know you just wanted some type of uh, education or some type of talk that will get you pumped up for the rest of the week, and I hope that's what I'm offering to you all. So I hope I'm bringing value to the every day cook I'm also hoping I'm bringing value to maybe the entrepreneurial cook or the the sommelier out there you know to my next episode I just really hope I'm bringing value to you all so you know just send me some feedback once in a while I think it's important and I'm very excited to see where this goes so without further ado here we go All right, so I'm going to start off with Notes from a Young Black Chef by Kwame Onwashi. It is a memoir from the 29-year-old chef based out of, based out of Washington, D.C. Uh, he has a one wonderful restaurant, Kith and Kin. And why I was excited to read this, um, I, I'll just give you the backstory. So about my second year in college, I met uh, a man named Dwayne Brown. Uh, he was a mentor to me. And basically, we talked a lot about the business aspect of food, uh, the business in terms of like owning restaurants and the moves, major moves happening in the industry right now. And I thought it was so cool to talk to him all the time because he always had some sort of like great wisdom and he always gave me some real life examples on business and entrepreneurial chefs. And, you know, this is before I knew who Gary V was and this is before I knew what really an entrepreneur was. He was giving me the advice that, Hey, you got to build something more than just like being a cook in terms of like an outside you know, media platform or owning your own thing, having your own space to do something in. And he is probably one of the main reasons why I'm doing Line Cook Thoughts. Um but anyway, I I was talking with him one day and he brought up Chef Kwame and he was like, hey man, did you hear about this uh this young this young chef, he's a CIA grad and he just opened a restaurant in DC and it failed. And I was like, no, I haven't heard of him. And um he pointed me toward Kwame's restaurant, uh the Sha and it was, it was interesting because it was like after three months of opening, they closed and they had put so much money in it and we weren't sure if it was because of bad investment or if Kwame, was in over his head. And, you know, that, that was just like the vague memory I have of that conversation with him. But I remember thinking, wow, like, that's pretty cool though, that this chef, you know, decided to go and do his own thing. But there was also a part of me that was like, like, what did, like, did he really think he could, you know, compare his prices to Jose Andres? Like, you know I mean? So there was that back and forth. um, And I put it away because, I don't know, I I had a lot going on at school. Um, And then, like, two months later, Dwayne talked to me a little bit more about it. And he got me thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? Why can't a young chef do what they need to do to, you know, be successful in this industry? And who says that only Jose Andres can charge for a certain amount of dollars for his menu. And in Kwame's book, he says at the time that, that the pricing wasn't even his fault and or wasn't what he wanted. And so I guess before I get into reviewing his book, I want to be able to say that we hear a lot of stories about the industry and we never really know the full truth. And this is something that worries me a lot as I'll hear something, you know, in an age with fake news and whatnot. Um, I'm not even getting into that, but you just hear like a story like Young A young chef fails at opening a restaurant in D.C. because of high price points or what have you. And you automatically think, oh, that chef, you know, it's his fault. Oh, the chef was in over his head. And you never, like, seem to think that, like, oh, maybe it was a, an investor that made the call. Or maybe it was just because someone in the newspaper was out to get you. And, not, you know, there was nothing like that in terms of the newspaper out to get you. But, you know, you get my point. Like, you don't ever know the circumstances, you know. And so, reading this book, it was really eye-opening to me to be like, "Hey, like, wait a second, I shouldn't be like judging everything right here." Um, so I, like I said, so I really enjoyed this book. And to start with, I thought Chef Palme's writing was was brilliant. I enjoyed reading it so much; it was easy to read, but it was very thoughtful, and it really gave you a sense of his feeling at the time. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything, but there was points in the book where I was dreading the next page because I knew that a bad event was going to take place or I knew that it wasn't about to get better. And he really conveyed emotion in me. Like I really got an emotional reaction out of the stories I read and I really, you know, me coming from a low income family and not having the experience he had at all. not trying to say that at all, but I do get that struggle on that grind where you look at these fine dining restaurants and you're a little like who, like who would spend that much money eating there? But um, the spark ignited in him that he wanted to be that way, like you know, be in those restaurants after like a certain point. Um, and I just really think it's cool. You know, we talk a lot about chefs as entrepreneurs. This is a true hustler story. I mean, he was. I mean, I don't want to spoil the book for y'all. But like I said, I thought the reading was the writing was really great. I thought reading it was a blast. Um, you know, getting home from work and reading it It took me about a week. Uh, you know, there's obviously faster readers or slower readers. I read in short bursts, um, but yeah, I, I really thought the book was well put together. I thought his story was tremendous. Um, I really hope to one day eat at one of his re- at his restaurant, um, and I really hope that his franchise that he is running with his fast ca- fast casual restaurants and his fine dining restaurants, I hope they all succeed and do really well. I think his story is one of, you know, someone who maybe felt it like didn't belong in an industry. And all of a sudden, it's starting to take it over. And I really think that is something that we love to hear. But I also think it's something to realize that you can have an impact on the industry like Chef Kwame has. Like If you truly believe in your story and yourself, you can do something great. Maybe you won't get a Michelin star restaurant, but you can do something else for the industry. So I guess that's what I learned most about it. And that's what got me so excited to get back into um, another podcast is, yeah, maybe – Maybe what I what I'm doing right now isn't what chefs see is cool or fun, but this is what I think is going to be cool. This is what I think is going to be very important in the next ten years. Is talking about the topics we talk about in this podcast. So that's why I do it. And I think at the end of the day, his story really inspired me to keep doing what I want to do and keep motivated me to keep pushing forward and forward and forward. Um, that being said, I really thought his his view on the industry was interesting. I strongly agreed with his view of the tyrant type chef in these fine dining restaurants. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, for me, there's no reason you should be a tyrant in the in a kitchen. I don't care if you have three stars. I don't care if you have the highest of high prestige in the world. I don't care if you're number one in the world. You you have no you have no right to just scream at another human being because their carrots aren't perfectly cut in a square. I mean, it's absurd and it's crazy. And some of you might not agree with me. But, like, I just think it's crazy. And, you know, he talks a lot about paying your dues. And I agree with him on that, too. Like, you should, like, you should love what you do. And, yes, there's going to be turmoil. There's going to be hard times. Uh, but the hard times should come through you failing at certain things. And it shouldn't be because someone else is artificially giving you hard times to try to make you a stronger cook. And while I do think you have to go through those hard times to become a stronger person, I don't think – I think those hard times come anyway in life. And I think it's even more difficult when you have – Power-hungry chefs, basically yelling at you over the simplest of things, and I think that's what we have to get away from in the in the industry. I don't think any food is as important in terms of ego and plating that you should be demeaning anyone or belittling anyone or you know just like screaming at them or treating them as if they were a second-rate human. Like I just don't believe in that, and I think what Chef Kwame does is exposes that truth to the world who maybe. You know, people who go eat at fine dining, I hope read his book and realize, hey, like what's going on in the back of the kitchen? Like, what's going to be, like, how are the cooks treated that made my meal? And that's the conversation we need to have with the regular diner: is how are the cooks being treated that made your meal? And I really agree with Chef his viewpoints on that, and I'm really excited he wrote that chapter. Um, I really hope this book has a large impact on the industry. Uh, some things I there was only like really I guess one thing I didn't like, and that was his. Chapter on the CIA, and the only reason I didn't like it is because he didn't I felt like he could have talked more about the CIA. Uh, that's my only knock on the book. I really wish he would have gotten more in depth into his classes and what chefs he had, and that's just me being a CIA grad. I would like to know more of that information. I'd like to know like you know what his his troubles were in class, like in history of Americas or Asia's, like those are the things I kind of uh want to hear about. Um, so I really hope at one point he puts up like a blog or something talking about that maybe he has and i just haven't found it yet but that being said i think overall the book is worth every penny you spend on it and i think it's really just an amazing memoir of someone so young in the industry and i really hope that the impact from his writing causes a movement bigger than what we have right now and i really just hope that If you're in a kitchen and you're pushing to be the best, and someone's like verbally abusing you, um, mentally like attacking you, like you should realize that you shouldn't have to do that. That doesn't have to be your lifestyle just because you want to start. Like, and that's what I'm trying to preach over and over and over again. Don't let your pursuit of getting a star lead to the destruction of your life. Like, you should have happiness. Like, life is short, and you should be happy. And I'm not going to say you're going to be happy all the time. But like I said, you're going to have your struggles and life is tough enough without having someone artificially putting in the negativity and the stress because they think they can make you a better chef. But in reality, all they want is like a short term workhorse so that they can get their name put up on a better, better bigger pedestal. So that's I guess what I'm trying to say. So if you agree with those points, and you do, if you think the book is something you want to read, I suggest giving it a shot. And like I said, I really wish Chef Kwame the best of luck. I would love to have him on the show at some point to talk more about the topics he talks about in the book. Um, But yeah, I really thought it was a well-written book. I really thought the pacing was nice. I thought the length of it was perfect. I thought he gave just enough story besides the CIA. I wish he would have went a little bit more in-depth on his classes and whatnot. But I thought overall I got a general message of who he is, what his story was like, and why I should be eating at his restaurants and reading this book. And so, yeah, I mean, I hope to do more of these book review-type things in the future but those are my thoughts on it and like i said chef Kwame, amazing job on the book and hope to have you on the podcast one day all right so next up i wanted to go over mcdonald's cutting their signature sandwiches uh and why i thought this was funny um they're not funny sorry mcdonald's anyway so i was watching this uh youtube video this is youtube where i watch um it's called the daily report he does reviews on fast food very nerdy very weird um But I grew up on fast food. Uh, That's why I was at such a high weight as a child. And that's why I had such an unhealthy eating habit as a child, teenager, young adult, whatever. Um, So fast food really interests me. My first job was at a Wendy's, my first cooking job. And I really just like to see what's going on in terms of what is happening with the fast food world. So turns out... So McDonald's basically had this line of signature sandwiches. Uh, I, I was like, bar- like onion rings on their burgers and whatnot. And it was created two years ago to attract to millennials. And I remember this because I did an essay on it in, my, um, in one of my food, academic food classes at the CIA. And this past week, they started to get rid of these signature sandwiches. Like they're getting rid of them. And the reason, I guess, is because, you know, they aimed it at millennials, uh, probably due to the popularity of five guys, and they just weren't selling a lot. And so that, like, whole signature sandwich brand push theme is gone now. And why I thought this was interesting is because I think you're starting to see a shift in what people are starting to eat. I mean, this is a big sign to me. I could be totally wrong. I could be crazy. But here's my view on it. So McDonald's tries to spice up their sandwich game, their burger game. And things don't go as they planned. Uh, Sales don't skyrocket the millennials don't go in for the better burger and i think it's because we're starting to get a nation that's more informed on eating more informed on food and i think people really want that homemade you know scratch food that you go to a local burger shop or you go somewhere that makes you know homemade food from scratch you think like, that's the type of the type of food millennials want and seeing this kind of fail for McDonald's shows me that we're not we don't just want like the idea of homemade food. We actually want the signature, the fancier food. We want the more involved food. And I think that's important because I start I'm starting to see slight changes in the way we eat. And I feel like if this was released like, I don't know, ten years ago it would have done really well. But because now that millennials or my generation, whatever you wanna call us, actually want homemade food or food that isn't processed as McDonald's does. Then we start to you know gravitate towards like maybe a local burger shop or a local burger joint, and start to get the burgers that maybe cost a little more than McDonald's but have more nutritional value, or at least are, are homemade. Um, so I thought it was really just a quick point to bring up because you know it's just weird, you know it's weird to see a titan of the food industry at, that McDonald's is uh, to have to discontinue something. And you know you might not think they're part they should be a part of the food industry, but the reality is they are, and they feed so many people a day that's why I think it's important to keep up on them and What was really interesting is now they're not using frozen beef on their quarter pounders, and they've seen sales increase in that, and that even furthers my point that we want homemade food, we want food that isn't just like you know vacuum frozen, stored, and just rethought and quickly heat it up and put it on a burger patty. We want fresh meat, as fresh as McDonald's can get. But still, the perception that we want this fresh food that isn't frozen and whatnot is starting to take a bigger hold, I think. I think McDonald's is seeing that in their sales volume. I think they're seeing that in the decline of sales for their signature brand. And I think they're just starting to realize that, you know, maybe they're going to have to start doing things a little bit differently. I'm really interested where McDonald's sits in the next 10 years in terms of the food industry. Like, what happens to them? How do they evolve? Because our nation and our food scene is evolving so rapidly to what I'm just talking about with like the homemade local food that I don't know where McDonald's fits in that space. I know they'll still be around. I don't, I'm not foolish. I don't think they're just going to quit and close and like shutter the doors after 10 years. But I am interested in to see, in seeing how exactly they fit into this new movement. I know they're putting an emphasis on not frozen beef. Um, You know, Wendy's been doing that already. Anyway, but like, I just really think, I'm just really excited to see what happens. And I thought this change was really interesting as a cook because you start to see the, maybe not the diner who knows about Michelin, but the average American diner is starting to maybe have more of a choice in what they're eating in terms of locality and freshness and food options. And while we know as cooks that that's not fresh food, uh, the perception that they're getting fresh food shows us that they want that. And so that's what I'm excited for. That's what I think is going to be happening is that McDonald's is going to have to start getting more fresh quote unquote items. And that's what they're going to have to start marketing to their general audience. Or I just think McDonald's is going to have to stay basic and not do these signature type brand things anymore because they obviously aren't doing them right. Or obviously the market isn't asking for them. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this brief topic of McDonald's. Like I said, I'd, I just thought it was interesting. I thought I'd share it with you all. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but those are my thoughts on it, and let me know what you think. Okay, so what I want to talk about now is uh, food memory, and I would love to have a podcast where I talk to someone who has done scientific research on food memory, But so if you know anyone, let me know, but this is just my, my feeling towards it and my importance on why food memory is so important. So, I mean... If you cook, you have at one point tasted or smelled something that brought you instantly back to yourself as a child eating something or making something maybe maybe with your grandmother or your family. And, you know, I just think, I just want to have this conversation of like why I think it's important that whatever you're doing and cooking, food memory is in your mind. Like whenever I make a dish or whenever I think of something, I always think, will this trigger a memory for someone? Will this make them feel like they were. I kid again um, in terms of serving it to like a fine dining restaurant or, you know, a casual restaurant. And I think there's a lot of power and there's a lot of ability when you start to think of the memories you can create or the memories you can draw back on from someone. I think it's very cool that restaurants research their guests when they come in. I think that's something that's very interesting because you kind of get a sense of who they are and you can kind of customize your meal around like who they are but like i really think that it's important to understand where like the people that you're feeding i think it's important to understand the collective background of them because if you're not going after a food memory um you're going to have a great plate but you're not going to have something that lasts with them forever and so i think there's like for me in my mind there's like two different ways to really leave an impression on someone you make a dish that's so beautiful and tastes so good and such a like comforting way that that lasts with them. Or you make a dish that shoots them back to their childhood and that's how they remember it. And I really am interested in the idea that someone eats a bite of food and is immediately brought back to being with their grandmother or grandfather. And they're there just like, you know, eating and they see it in their minds themselves, like being happy and talking with them. And I think that's just a, such a cool and sincere thing to do for someone. Um, you know, like whenever I make homemade sauce at home, whenever I make homemade pasta sauce, I just made it this, for this past Easter. Whenever I'm sweating my onions and I'm adding the tomatoes in and the basil, I think about my grandfather and my mother and cooking this with them and watching them make it in the kitchen and always going over to the pot every ten minutes to like stir it so it doesn't burn and stick because that's a big thing with tomato sauce. You never want a burnt sauce. Um, I burnt quite a few in my life to know that you don't want burnt sauce and. You know, so when I go out to eat at Italian restaurants, that's something I always look for. Will this sauce shoot me back to when I was a kid? And there's been a lot of cool, you know, experiences with pasta where I'm eating and all of a sudden I go back to when I was in my house back in Buffalo and a child and my mom was I just had this vision of like my mom cooking over a stove and adding things to the sauce, and I think that's a really cool idea that you know, like a typical plate of pasta pasta can make me feel that great. So I think identifying what dishes in your repertoire shoot heel back to their uh childhood memories is important um before i left buffalo i did a tasting menu for my chef and sous chef and so basically what i did was carrot cavatelli so i juiced the carrots i added flour um it was kind of a riff on jeremy fox's carrot cavatelli and his on vegetables cookbook which is an amazing cookbook if you don't have it and um so basically you make the dough and I made cavatelli, you know, one by one using the little board. And then I made a um like a bechamel. not a bechamel. I used Midnight Moon. It's an aged goat cheese. It's my favorite cheese of all time. And I made like a pan sauce out of that. Um I took uh spring onions and I put the I took the tops and I basically just like use them as a garnish and I took the bottoms because uh, the bottoms have like that sharper like onini flavor and i mixed it with a little bit of the tops um and some lemon juice a little bit of uh shaved midnight moon so it's almost like a pesto but not quite uh, like a pesto consistency i put that in the bottom of the bowl i put the carrot cavatelli in there uh, i had a little bit leftover carrot juice from the juicing so i mixed that with my midnight moon bechamel and it was almost like this carrot mac and cheese and it had the texture of like it was like cool it was like a cool mac and tea- cheese in the Carrot cavatelli has an interesting texture that I really like, and this is in between a bunch of other courses I did. I did, like, a spinach and artichoke dip, like, themed dish because me and my chef always used to go to, like, Applebee's after work and get spinach and artichoke dip. That's one of my favorite snacks. Um, but anyway, so we have this whole meal, and we sit down, and I'm thinking that their favorite dish is going to be the duck dish or that the favorite dish might be the dessert. We did this really cool dessert, me and my pastry chef, Carly, uh, that I was working with. Um... But when we sat down, they said that their uh, favorite their favorite dish was probably the cavatelli. Um, oh, and I shaved white truffles on it. But you know, obviously, you're probably thinking now, oh, it's because of the white truffles. Uh, but I was very lenient with that because I didn't want it to overpower the dish. Anyway, I when I sat down with them in the dining room and they were telling me their favorite dishes, they were like, you know, like as like I like in the best way possible. It brought me back to when I was a kid eating a. Microwave TV dinner and just enjoying the mac and cheese out of it. Like something about the creaminess of the sauce and the texture of the pasta and the the how it was nice and hot and the sharpness of the green onion. Um, obviously, that wasn't that's not in a kid's mac and cheese TV dinner, but the balance of flavors and like the texture and the creaminess and just like the pure joy of eating it brought those two chefs back to when they were kids eating that out of like a microwave box in like the best way possible. And, you know, you can be cynical and be like, wow, like you really did a good job, Ray. Right? You made them think of eating microwave mac and cheese, but no, this was something really that like took them back to that. And I thought that was the coolest dish I've ever made because I had only a few times I've ever experienced anyone telling me that my food had brought them back to when they were a little kid. So that being said, this is what I'm getting at. I think it's important that when you're cooking, To have the intention to do that, and I really am interested in hearing what your thoughts are on this. And I don't think it has to be in a fine dining context. I think having like a really good like cinnamon bun can bring you back to when you were a kid hanging out with your friends and enjoying cinnamon buns. Like there's so many ways to evoke this reaction of food memory and evoke this reaction of like oh my god, like this is amazing. I love this, and I just really want to hear what you all have to say. I'd love if you Instagram DM me about it. Maybe give me some of your favorite food memories, but like. I think it's so cool that we as chefs have the ability to transform someone back to a prior state of their life. And that's why I think when you cook, you should be cooking with the intention of doing this. And I really just hope that whatever I, whatever I put out in the food industry gives people the sense of satisfaction and relief. Like, Oh my God, like this took me back to when I was this age or whatnot. Um, a meal for me that really did this was, um, when I was eating with my chef, uh, or eating a meal that my chef Ross had made me, um, and basically there were like these, uh, it was like the scallop two ways. It was scallops cooked, one was cooked in in like, or plated in a shell, and it was seared and had foie gras butter, and the other was like ceviche, and it was like raw. And um, it took me back to the first time I had ever had uh, raw fish at school at the CIA. It was like my second, my second week of freshman year and just like the coolness of eating ceviche and eating raw scallops and the acid. I remember it being so good. And when he did this, it took me back to that special time in my life where I was just starting college. And I was very excited for the future to unfold. And I was so like happy to be at the CIA. And so I think that made my meal. And I think when you have one of those experiences, you make someone's meal, one that they remember for the rest of their lives. Um, So like I said, I think we as chefs have this cool like, magical ability to do this, um, and I just really think it's something that we shouldn't take for granted, and I wanted to talk a little bit about it. It was recommended to me um, by someone in passing, and I just wanted to start talking about it a little bit. Like I said, it would be so cool to have a scientist or someone at some point who knows more about this because I think it's really such a cool topic, and I want to get more in-depth in it and do a little bit more research. So this isn't the last time you're going to hear about this topic, but I just wanted to throw the idea out there to y'all as to why I think it's so important that we as chefs focus on this. Okay, so the last kind of topic, I guess, on this podcast is going to be why I found out that going out with a sommelier to eat is probably the best way to go out to eat. Um, so, quick story. I had my friend Connor Matz come into town. Uh, he's working out in California on a farm. And he came into town for a day, like literally a day. Um, and basically... I hadn't seen him since graduation back in July, and it was our time to get back together and kind of go out with some friends. So it was me and then my friend Sam, who's the sommelier I'll be talking about, and my friend Jerry. And basically, what we did is we ended up getting reservations at Chef's Club New York with Chef Paulie Brandt. Um, it was an amazing meal. The decor was really cool. The meal was amazing. Um, it was really cool terrine. This ham and floss terrine was, was just so good. Uh, he had this little like smoked uni tartlet with uh with uh trout roe on it which was really nice as well. Every dish was really great. Uh but what really impressed me about the meal or what really excited me was the conversation Sam had with the sommelier of Chef's Club New York. And basically uh so basically we go in and Sam's like, yo, like what are we spending online? And we basically spent $40 each on wine. And what happened was so like Sam tells our Somalier this, they start talking and they're, you know, Sommelier language that I have no idea what the hell they're saying, and all of a sudden the guy's pouring us like an extra bottle of wine for each course, and you know we're getting to try different things from his like cellar, like this wine from Virginia, and it was just so cool, such a cool experience to have, and I never would have had it if I had not gone out with Sam. And I'm not sure if every sommelier is like this, but the sommelier that we were that was serving us really enjoyed talking to Sam. And I guess what I'm trying to get at is, go out with a sommelier. If you're if you're friends with a sommelier, go out to eat with them. Uh, Sam turned forty dollars into an, a very memorable night. Uh, we had so much good wine to go with our amazing food, and I just really think it was cool to have had that experience with him. So he's going to be on the podcast in a couple of weeks, and you know I'm just very excited for that conversation to go out because I'm starting to grow more of an interest in wine as I start to get older and more involved in the industry. And so, yeah, I just – I really wanted to share that story of Chef's Club in New York is that, you know, we sit down, we're we're getting our food, and there's, like, bottles of wine start coming out uh, just because Sam was talking to this guy, and he ended up knowing wine, and the guy ended up knowing what Sam was talking about. And it was just really a worthwhile experience. Um, and, you know, a conversation we're going to have with Sam is why wine is so important uh, to dining and what he looks for in a pairing and in a wine menu. But basically, like, that was – it was so fascinating to me, and I think as cooks, we have to take a little bit more time to appreciate the people who serve wine in our industry. Uh, wine is something for me that I really want to learn a lot about. Uh, it's very interesting. I think it's so cool how it's like this different sect of the food industry where there's so many cool little like quirks and like names and words that I don't understand. That's how I felt when I got to the CIA, that type of new language that I didn't know yet, and I had to learn and evolve and adapt to be able to learn and grow with it, and so when I was talking or when I was watching Sam talk with the sommelier and they were saying all these domains and these producers and these purveyors, it was really like, like inspiring for me. I mean, I think we get so stuck in the fact when you're a cook that you're just a cook. And, you know, obviously my last solo episode was titled Just a Cook. Um, but there's so many different things to do in this industry. Uh, and there's so many different avenues you can take. There's so many routes you can take to become successful. There's so many job openings. There's so many. People to learn from. There's so many mentors to talk to. There's so many lessons to gain. And with Sam, what he really showed me that night is that you just have to be passionate about something. You just have to be passionate about the food industry. And you will have such a good time. And doors will open for you even when you go out to eat at a place like Chef's Club. Um, like The food was stellar. But like I said, the most important thing I'll remember is that if you're passionate about something, you will gain more than you will ever know in this industry. And I've known that through being passionate about this podcast and about food and, like, the gifts I've gotten and the people I've gotten to meet and the experiences I've had. And Sam's seeing the benefits of being passionate about wine through an extra bottle of wine or maybe a rare bottle of wine that, that sommelier wouldn't just give to anyone. Like, it's almost like this involves a club. And that's really what I wanted to get into with this conversation is why I think going out with someone who is in that club of sommeliers is so important is it exposes you and exposes your knowledge to another side of the food industry that I think a lot of chefs lack. I think when we think about what a good chef is, we always think about technique and skill and taste. And we never really think about what do they know about the front of house? What do they know about the wine service? What do they know about what people want to drink with what the, with the food that they're making? Um, and I really think that wine is something I want to dedicate a little bit of my time to. And as we talked with Sam, I interviewed him today, and it was just a very thrilling conversation for me. I think I just want to dedicate more of my time to it because with wine, I feel like there's so much out there to gain. There's so much out there to learn. There's so much out there for me to just see and try and taste and, you know, to throw 20 bucks every week to get a bottle or 30 bucks to get a bottle and just taste it and see the differences in the wine and see how everything is made. It's a lot. Um, and it's overwhelming for me. And it's, I'm a little nerve-wracked when I think about, you know, embarking on a journey to discover wine. But I think it's something important because I feel like if I'm going to be a chef and a leader of cooks and, you know, a leader of a front of house team and leader of a kitchen, I should know more than just about food. And I think that's the bigger picture here. And I know it's a big thing. We always talk about how you should just be more than a cook. And I don't want to like keep battering that down every podcast. But what Sam showed me is like because he obviously went to school with me for cooking, but he branched out and he did something that he truly believed in that he truly enjoys. And I think there's nothing more admirable than someone who does what they want to do in life um, and is passionate about something and is able to find their dream job or their their niche and just run with it. And I just think it's a really cool opportunity he has right now with where he's working. And I am very excited to see his career blossom in the future. But I feel like we need to take a bigger look at the people in the front of house um, and the people serving wine and the people serving – you know, those experiences. And I kind of want to get into the conversation of, like, what does it mean to be, you know, wise in the front of house? I want to do a front of house-focused episode, but I'm going to give you my two cents right now. I think, like I said, I think cooks have this weird stopping point when they put plates of food in the window that it just stops at the window and they don't see past to the guests, whereas a server – takes the food out of the window and brings it to the guest and they see the smile on the face when the guest takes the first bite or they don't see the smile when the guest is disappointed. Um, It's a really weird way of thinking, uh, but basically that's what, um, that's how I think about food. That's how I think about what I do is like, I now see my food going to the pass and then going past the window to the guest. That's how I envision my food every time I put a plate up now. I didn't have that for a long time. And it's through meeting people like Sam. It's through seeing what the front of house can do for you. It truly, truly makes a difference when you have that thought process when you're a cook. Um, When I was in school, it turned out one of my favorite classes in college was my front of house class I was in with Sam. We were in the Bocuse restaurant at the Culinary Institute of America. And we had a professor, Brian. And I wasn't the best server. I'm like, I'm a clumsy guy. (laughs) If you ever worked with me in a kitchen, if you ever been in class with me. You know I'm kind of a clumsy guy. You know I'm someone who's stumbling or not the best at serving. But um it was what I learned on serving that it's not always about technique. It's about your personality and your ability to talk to people, your ability to relate to people, your ability to prove to people that food that you're serving is important. And that when they eat that food, they're gonna gain more than just, you know, just just eating food, they're going to have an experience. And I think at the end of the day, that's why I love that class so much. I was able to connect with people. I was able to give people an experience. You know, they were coming to the best culinary school in the world. And I was going to be the gateway from that for them to get that experience. Because at the end of the day, if you're not putting your all into serving someone, then you're not able to give them the experience that you think they deserve. And I think a lot of that gets lost. I mean, when I do podcasts, I have to think of it this way, right? I'm creating content for you all to listen to and enjoy. And if I sound bored and if I sound tired, then I'm not, it's not going to be an enjoyable podcast for you. And that's what I strive to keep in my mind all the time. And it's something I've had to learn and I hope to keep getting better at over time is my ability to be energetic in an hour long solo episode. But I mean, I think at the end of the day that like you have to always keep your energy up and keep your mind on things. And like I said, Sam just, like, I'm sorry I went down this rabbit hole, but Sam really just showed me that, like, if you just stay passionate and true to what you want, you will get what you deserve. And that's why I'm sticking with the podcast. That's why I'm sticking with Line Cook Thoughts. That's why I've made decisions in my career to do what I want to do. And so thank you, Sam, for that experience. It really left a great impression on me. Um, If you haven't checked out Chef's Club, you should definitely check out Chef's Club in New York City. It's a great establishment where chefs take over every month or so and do their own spin on dishes and whatnot. Um, and I just really think, you know, the New York City food scene really has a great value when it has places like Chef's Club New York. So, you know, Sam, thank you so much. And I hope you all at one point go out to eat with a sommelier. And I hope you get the experience I had with all the bottles we got, all the different experiences we had, and the very good appreciation of what it means to have good people in your connected group. Okay, y'all. Uh, it's that part of the podcast where I started to go over the line cook thoughts that I really enjoyed this past week or ones that i wanted to expand more on uh so this first one is going to be coming from at chef Pottergy underscore Ymir. and basically his quote it's real simple it's really good and it just says as long as people eat you'll always have a job uh this is something that a lot of people have said to me in my career and i just think it's a cool i, I always i always like this quote because it's, he's right like at the end of the day like no matter what, there's always going to be someone who has to eat. There's always going to be someone who wants an elevated dining experience or something that somebody who just doesn't want to cook at home. Um, I think at the end of the day, you have to remind yourself of that because I feel like when cooks either lose their job or get in a place where they're not happy where they're working but they don't feel like they can go anywhere else, there's always going to be a job for you. There's always going to be job security for you. It might not be the job that you necessarily want at that same time and place, and we know – We all know that you should be at jobs we love. But at the end of the day, if anything goes wrong, there's always going to be a job you can fall back on in the food industry. And I think that's a comfort for me and for a lot of people out there. So I just really hope that, you know, you take the time to to realize that maybe if you're in a struggling place right now, like there's always a job for you. So thank you, Chef Prodigy underscore Yamir. This next one's coming from at Grody (laughs) Cody. It's an interesting Instagram name, but, He says, cooking with confidence might be the hardest thing everyone struggles with, always feeling as if someone somewhere else is doing something much better than you are. But that common feeling we share also tends to be our drive to keep pushing back during creative times and service times to always be better and live in the present rather than squandering the present thinking about the future. And I agree with him totally. I think cooking in confidence is one of the biggest things you can do. Uh, One of the biggest things Chef Ross has told me about is that, you know the best thing to do is cook with confidence. There's nothing worse than an underseasoned plate of food, and there's nothing more disappointing than that. I think when you cook with confidence, the diner can tell, the person who's eating your food can tell. Uh, when you cook with confidence, you're able to execute at a higher level. There's no self-doubt clouding your mind. There's no self-doubt clouding your brain, and you're able to just perform at a much better and efficient pace. And I think when you have confidence you're able to try new things because you're like, okay, I know what I know. I'm able to go on to the next step. And I feel like a lot of cooks, I like, I honestly feel this. A lot of cooks are better than they think. And it's just because of our industry always saying that you have to be humble and you're not good enough that they're not able to take that next step, not because they don't have the skills, but because they don't have the mental like awareness or at least the confidence to go ahead and take that next step. And that's what bothers me. And I hope that podcast helps in some way. I was like that for a long time. I did not think that I was good enough to be anything more than a line cook. And, you know, I really think that if you just are confident in yourself and you're confident in your abilities, I mean, it harkens back to when I was talking with Jeremiah Tower and his first kitchen job was an executive chef. You know, he just went for it. He just did it because he was confident in himself. Um, so just remember that. The confidence is key. I know it's a cliche thing to say, but in cooking it really does matter that you're confident. I think it's so important. Um, this next quote is going to be shared by at, is or I-Z-B-Z, um, and basically she says, I went to cooking school right out of high school. I ended up taking a different path, and after years of jobs that did not fulfill me or give me purpose, I decided to go back into the cooking industry. It was the best decision of my life. From the moment I wake up to the moment I fall asleep, I have a purpose. I'm not wasting my life in a meaningless job anymore. This is not a job for me. It's who I am. I was born to be a cook. I wish it didn't take me so long to realize, but I'm glad I did it in this lifetime. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've talked to a lot of cooks who maybe got away from cooking and then got back into it. There's a lot of chefs on the podcast who've been, who were not into cooking right away, but then got into it because it, they realized that it's what they love. Um, I know a lot of cooks who have gone on to college somewhere because that's what their parents wanted them to do rather than being a chef. And then they have automatically switched back to being a chef because they love it so much. I think at the end of the day, if you were meant for this industry, the industry calls out to you and you find your niche and you find your way of doing and you run with it. Um, I I really adore people who go out and do something because they didn't want to be a cook, and then ultimately decide that they are going to, in fact, be a cook. So I really find that tremendously inspiring. I find it such a cool story to listen to, and I just really think that if you're able to make the decision for yourself that you want something more than what you're doing, and you don't feel like you're making an impact, and you decide to switch your life up to do what you truly want to do, I think that's yeah. admirable, and I think that's the best way to be in life. This last thought comes from Aurora Adby, and uh, she says, the first kitchen you work in will always be the blueprint from which you judge all other kitchens. It teaches you a specific alchemy. The way you relate to heat in a pan is slightly different in each kitchen you work in. Every pan is different. Every stove is different. Everyone's oil is different. Something amazing happens when you go back to the kitchen you started in. All you've experienced at other places synthesizes, and you can settle into the blueprint you started with. Only now with a deeper understanding – appreciation for your ingredients and immediate surroundings. Everything clicks, you know where things are, you like where things are, and you can push yourself to create food with a third type of consciousness. You can see into what you're doing and respond humbly with true intuition. Uh, I apologize if you hear a dog barking. Um, I do live in a New York City apartment, so I don't always have the best uh, studio-quality sound atmosphere. But um, I really like this quote because... When you work in a kitchen, she's right. You have certain things you are used to, certain things you know. For example, you know that if you turn your burner on, it emits a certain amount of heat. And maybe another burner emits more of a flame. And you know that if you're going to boil something, you're not going to use that one burner because it doesn't put out as much heat as the rest of them. Um, you also know like your warm spots and your cold spots in the kitchen so that maybe you can hold you know something that's heat sensitive in a certain area. Uh, you know that the oil... That you use your brand might get a little hotter like a second faster than the one that you're using at your new restaurant There's so many different variations in cooking and there's so many different ways or things that we think we know that switch when we go to a new kitchen uh, where the dish pit is, where we put dishes, where the banes go on a station, where the sanitizer tablets are there's so many different variables and I think what Aurora's getting at is as long as you're able to adapt and kind of synthesize everything together, you're going to be successful. So it's important to acclimate to your environment, but also remember where you came from so that you can successfully combine both of the um, both of your environments or as many environments as you've been in into one cohesive cooking atmosphere so that wherever you go, you're able to be a better chef. So thank you, Aurora, for sharing and for everyone else who shared in this week's Line Cook Thoughts. So there you have it. There's the episode. Uh, we're at 2,500 followers on Instagram. We're growing strong, and I'm just very excited for – the chefs we're going to be contacting, the cooks we're going to be contacting, the sommeliers, anyone. Like this this podcast is meant to add value to the industry, and I hope I'm doing that. And like I said, any feedback would be greatly appreciated. But um, yeah, like I said, I'm just truly stoked for what's to come. Um, I'm so taken aback by the responses I've gotten. I've gotten a lot of uh, – recently this past week I've gotten like three podcast requests where people have asked me to be on their podcast and also me be on, like, have them come on my podcast, which I think is a really cool thing to start collaborating on. Um, If there's a cooking podcast you would want me to be on, you know, let me know. I mean, I would love to collaborate with other podcasters. I think it's a cool thing to do. Uh, One group I want to shout out is uh, Rethink Food New York City. Um, You can find them at Rethink New York City on Instagram. And basically, they're a food waste company that is going ahead and is uh, managing waste from restaurants and redistributing it redistributing it throughout the community. I think it's something very important that they're doing. Um, not just because, uh, I mean, obviously it's important to redistribute food for people who need it. But I feel like a lot of restaurants waste more than they know. Or they think, there's this conception that they can't use this food, so they waste it. And I'm really proud to see what Rethink is doing. So if you're able to check them out, if you're able to support them or volunteer in any way, look them up. Um, just look up in Google, Rethink New York City. Look up on Instagram, Rethink New York City. And just check them out. It's a really good cause. And I think it's something very important for the industry to tackle, which is food waste. It's more of an important topic than I think we talk about. Um, but I don't want to like you know beat a dead horse or anything, because I know people talk about it a lot, but it's a, it's a matter of actually doing. And uh, I know I have things I could be better at in terms of recycling and food waste and whatnot. And Rethink is really show- giving us a model on what it's like To be a restaurant that, you know, gives your food out there to people who need it in the New York City area. So I just wanted to shout them out really quick and just, you know, put the word out there in terms of their organization. Uh, Please, I'm going to be putting up a line Cook Thoughts question later on after this podcast airs. Please send me your thoughts for the next solo podcast. I didn't get as much response as for my last sticker on, you know, what you want the podcast to be about. Um, But I really think it's cool when I can get topics from you all. I mean, I love doing these episodes. Um, but it's so much easier having topics that you give me because I know that's what you want to hear. So please, if you're an avid listener to this podcast or you're just joining and you want to hear a certain topic touched upon on the episode, please send me, um, an email at line thoughts at outlook.com. Please reach out to me on Instagram at linecookthoughts. thoughts. Send me, uh, an answer when I put out the question sticker later tonight. Uh, but you know, thank you for listening. Um, I know I have some new listeners and if you're a new listener, and you haven't gone into the past episodes, we're doing this podcast because I think it's so important for cooks to have an outlet for you to talk, share, reach out, connect, and just grow with each other. So if you're a new listener to this podcast and you're a cook and you're like, you know, I'm kind of liking the vibe of this, just, you know, stick with us. You know, we're building this community of online people who want an industry that's very accepting and very open and very, you know, transparent and an industry where we grow and, you know, just produce great food and great conversation and great environments for the people that we work for, or the people that work for us. So if you're a new listener, thank you so much for tuning in. I know uh, I know, my podcast maybe isn't as sound quality-proof as a lot of other podcasts. I know I can talk fast sometimes. I know that I don't have the best editing skills, but it truly has meant the world to me for everyone that's been listening for the past 25 episodes. Can't wait to catch up with you on episode 50 Really excited to see what that looks like, but thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. It means a ton and we'll see you on the next Lion Cook Thoughts episode. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Don't forget to check out LionCookThoughts.com for your official merchandise. That is LionCookThoughts.com for Lion Cook Nation merch.